You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. No child ever says, I want to be an addict when I grow up. Adults in bondage are frustrated, as if they're lost in a maze of a dark night. If you've been unable to break free, it's time we had a conversation about the life you have and the life you really want. It's time to start your journey. Welcome, everybody. We are so glad to have you today. We're going to have a conversation with you and with my co-host here, Jeremy, about breaking free from addiction. And I know that if you're listening, that uh, you want to have a different life and you want to live. So we are excited for you to be here today. Jeremy, how are you? I am well. You are well. On a scale of one to ten, how well are you? Uh, Eight. Eight? Seven. Seven. Uh, what's the difference between seven and eight, by the way? Uh, one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ooh. we we found a we found a uh, a stray dog yesterday, and I really liked the dog. It was a very cute dog. And you want to keep it? I wanted to keep it, but I didn't want to say that to my wife out loud because I thought we might keep it then. And so she she took it. Hopefully, it has a chip. She took it to. Um, wherever you go show animal shelter i guess okay. to see if they can find the owner because it was a really good dog but i probably would have ended up keeping it if i mean assuming we couldn't find the owner uh but it's a brindle pit and uh, i guess a lot of homeowners insurance will not cover pits uh, if someone gets bit so there you go that's a problem so i, I took that off of the mm. list um but a very friendly dog so a dog you'd like to have, but a dog is dangerous. Yep. So I went from an eight to a seven, I suppose, because he okay. had to leave about uh, an hour ago. Well, that's, the, you know, the good news about that, that's recoverable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by the time we get into the podcast, I will probably be like, I won't even care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump in. We are in a series, everybody on roadblocks to recovery or enemies on the road to clean and the subject or the statement that we want to deal with today that we hear from people from time to time is this they want to quit their recovery they want to go back to where they came from and they make a statement somewhere along this line i'll lose my friends or i'll lose my street cred Mm. or i'll lose my respect Mm. <laughs> you know how I think about things, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but not I, everybody in this conversation does. So. I know. It's tell just, us, tell us how you think, Jeremy. <laughs> well, the instant I heard that is like, man, you don't have no street cred. <laughs> <laughs> you, to to say all of those things implies that you have those things, and and so one at a time right you said street cred you said friends right friends street cred and respect yes yeah respect promise you don't have that um people don't give you that i mean that's a very subjective thing respect is earned and if you're on the street and you're an addict you've probably lost that with with almost everybody you know so you have what you think is respect and that idea is probably more well, they, they know that I, you know, I'll be fine. You know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't know what to say about that, but I'm sure there's some semblance, some fraudulent form of what respect is uh, in that environment. As far as the friendship, man, I'm going to tell you something. Friends do not keep you down. That's right. They just do not. So I promise you don't have 
friends to lose. All you really have to lose is your life. And and I'm you know of course I'm probably fast forwarding to the end of the whole podcast here. That <laughs> well, they, they do have partners in misery sometimes. Absolutely, and those are not friends. Those are not friends. That that's a good that's a good thought. That's a good thought. I like the way you think. Well, now now there is another side of the coin that I thought of while you were telling us how you think, which is good. Uh, it's probably better. You, you've heard the expression "honor among thieves." Yeah, sure. You know, a thief, what, yeah. a thief has no honor, obviously. Mm-hmm. But to say there's honor among thieves is uh, uh, what do you call this? An antithesis statement? I call it an uh, oxymoron. Yes, yes, that's a better that's a better word for it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we're we're on the street. Uh, well, let's let's back up. Let's back up. Uh, we we talk about being on the street so often, naturally and first, because. As Grace United Urban Ministries, we work with homeless people and uh, addiction is a grave uh, dominant problem on the street. And we work with people who are addicted who are not homeless. Uh, so I say, I go to the street automatically by default, okay? Yeah. Uh, but if you are on the street, um, you know, you, you have folks that, that you consider to be friends. Now let's, let's look at that. Uh, your friends on the street are, are the ones who are not openly your enemy. Uh, they, they give you some measure of, of honor and respect because you're part of their community. But if push comes to shove, they would take your stuff to get their next fix. Mm. But they wouldn't do it openly. They wouldn't do it abusively. So uh, a, weird, a weird scale maybe we could say of friendship. Um, uh, you know, most, most people on the street would, would sell their wife, their sister, their kid uh, if, if they were hurting for a fix. Um, so you wouldn't consider that to be friends whatsoever. But there does develop, sort of under that honor among thieves concept, there does develop a certain sense of community. So certain sure. people hang out in groups. Yeah, because community um, is a conjunction of two words, common unity. Yes. Right? So you have something in common, which is what brings unity that doesn't necessarily speak to good, bad, or otherwise. It's just a reality. Well, isn't it a human nature? Yeah. We're, we, we were born for community. Uh, the concept of family is is our first experience with community, and hopefully our our experience with our family allows us to understand proper community outside our family. Doesn't right. always work that way, but but that was God's intent, I think. Uh, so we have this sense of community because uh, we we gather up in a camp together for mutual support or mutual protection or mutual communication. Uh, somebody's out walking the street and finds out that they're giving away pizza two blocks over and they run back to the camp. Hey, everybody, there's pizza two blocks over. Uh, you know, that's that's community. That That is to some degree a, a friendship. You're looking out for one another. Uh, but in the end, if it meant you eating or them eating, it's gonna be you eating because mm. you're in that desperate slot and, and you have... Um, some people don't like me using the word that I, I use, but I, I use the word devolved on a regular basis. Mm. Uh, we know what evolution means, you know, in the context of science, uh, 
uh, you know, fish became whatever, it became monkeys, it became men. Uh, I did find it interesting. One of the politicians, uh, Herschel Walker, I think it was in Georgia. I prefer uh, to think of him as an athlete, but sure. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, he's, he's he is running for office, so he right. is politicking. So <laughs> right. no, you're right. I, I will be generous and call him a politician. Um, you say potato, I say potato. Right. So. <laughs> but uh, he, he said that there can't be any evolution because we still have monkeys. Yeah. It was an interesting... I'd never heard it put that way before. That's yeah. Uh, that's funny. I've said that for years because I've, I'm like, well, why? If we're going from one place to the other, how is the other thing still around? Whatever it is. Yeah, that, that's that's uh, food to food to ponder. Yeah, that's that's for another episode, probably another podcast, probably so. <laughs> but but the opposite of evolution would be to devolve. Mm-hmm. And when people go to the street, when people get into addiction in it's compounded when you're homeless and in addiction uh the, the person that that you were at your best has ceased to be anything close to that best so we have we have devolved we've 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 lost manners we've we've lost we've lost simple basic housekeeping functions um uh, you know, at, at, at home, you, you, you grow up, you hear your mother say, wash your hands, we're getting ready to eat supper. Mm-hmm. You know, well, where does a homeless person wash their hands before they eat? So they're, they're, handing, out, they're handing out pizza. To eat pizza, you gotta use your hands. Your hands have touched everything under the sun. And you don't even think about it. You pick up that piece of pizza and you start eating it. You would never have done that before you were homeless. Well, <laughs> before okay. you were homeless or before you were nine, <laughs> <laughs> most people <laughs> would not have done that before they were homeless. They would not have done that before they they were an addict. And uh, you know, there's there's a whole a whole slew of other things that that go along with that. We we lose our our normal sense of of value. We lose our our normal sense of manners. Our normal sense of thinking. Uh, how we keep ourselves, how we take care of ourselves, how we treat others. All those things we learn growing up to become our best at some point have, have devolved and, and we are, um, we are, I don't wanna say, it, for purposes of illustration only, we become a magnified animal mm. because we live in a survival of the fittest only mentality. I didn't say people were animals. I, I'm not talking in terms of disrespect. I, I'm talking about natural instinct. It's it's a survival of the fittest. And that's what we think of when we think of animals. It's a survival of the fittest. We become much more instinctual versus practical yes, thought. Yes, thank you, thank you. And so uh, in that place, uh, those, those weird uh, street, Attic communal relationships that that we have left are all we have left of community, and literally our identity is in those relationships. Uh, mom and dad probably won't speak to you; they won't help you. They may even have you blocked on their phone, right? Uh, they may have gotten a home security system, so 
even if you still have a key, you can't get in without alarms going off or they've changed the locks. Uh, I've literally heard of people who've moved so that their addict family member couldn't find them anymore. Mm. Now that's, that's about as bad as it gets right there. Um, so what I'm getting at is, is these relationships that you have in your addiction are, are all you have left. And when that's all you have left, your identity is typically in what you have. It's what you know, it's how you live. So, uh, you, you know, you're an addict and you are, you are in community with addicts or you're in community with homeless people who are also addicts and, and that's your identity. And so, what, what, we're, what we're hearing in this statement is, I'm scared because if I keep working on, on getting broke free from this addiction, and if I actually get to the point of being clean someday where I'm not just sober, I won't fit in mm-hmm. with that community that I identified with. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense of loyalty, there is a sense of honor to those folks, what will I do? And and there's a fear that we won't be able to develop healthy new relationships that take their place because all we our identity is so strong in being an addict that that we can't even comprehend leaving that that scenario that lifestyle behind because there's nothing to, to go into, hmm. and and that's a that's a terrible terrible place to live and the the hard part to deal with here is that to a certain extent we have to talk about human nature some of that feeling is justified because usually you've made but by the time I get to talk to you you've made several attempts to be sober you've made several attempts to come clean and that means you've had several experiences with people outside your regular circle of addiction and that probably hasn't been pretty it probably hasn't been uplifting it hasn't been encouraging Um, in fact it's it's probably been uh, tantamount to what you might call uh, tactical warfare Mm. Uh, people are afraid of you when you're in addiction. People don't trust you when you're in addiction. Uh, people, people don't want to deal with the drama that comes not only with addiction, but that drama is intensified when you're in addiction trying to get sober and when you're sober trying to get clean. And so... On one hand, I can't blame people who are in addiction, uh, who are scared of new relationships or, or fearful that nobody will be there for them. Does that, that make any sense? Is that yeah, understandable? Sure. Um, you know, we, we tell people all the time that if you're in addiction, you need a mentor and if you know someone in addiction, you need to learn how to be a mentor. A mentor being someone who um, has, has some sense of, of loyalty to you, who, who believes in your potential to get out of addiction, who speaks more to you about your future than they do about your past. 
But that is not the normal relationship that someone trying to come out of addiction has with with anybody normal or regular in society. Right. So, uh, uh, tell me, Jeremy, uh, knowing knowing what you've learned so far in in these episodes and in your background of, of church ministry, what what would you say to average Joe Schmo who who knows somebody in addiction but is is scared to death of, of touching them, dealing with them, talking to them. What would your 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 advice be? Well <clears throat> man, I think the challenge is sometimes, you know, especially if they know somebody, it just kinda depends on how close they are. If it's a family member, um I think a, a wonderful thing to do would be able to um to be able to help them without them know you're helping them, right? So there's a thing that I've done in leadership for years. I call it working without a net, mm. right? And so what it is, is I want the people who I am growing up into leaders to, to have the feeling that there is no safety net on the high wire when they're doing stuff. Meanwhile, there's a safety net <laughs> and I become that safety net. It's kind of like what I do with my kids now. You know, if they have financial need or they have something going on in their life, I don't just immediately swoop in and solve the problem. I help them, encourage them to solve the problem themselves, but I'm still around. So for example, in, in, an, in a situation like that, it would be contacting somebody who you knew could get to them, you know, somebody like yourself, and then saying, hey, let me know what what role you think I can play. You know, working with you in a private fashion uh, so that my addicted uh, relationship, whoever that person is, can get some space. Now, that's part one, right? If I have a good, a good relationship one. with them and and they're just taxing, is I think sometimes sharing you know, honesty is one of the most underrated things. And when I say honesty, I'm not talking about people lying. I'm talking about people not communicating what's actually going on. So um, I have the luxury of of not having to deal with, I've never had to deal with a, an addict real close to me. I've had them in my life. I've had family members, but they've not been real close. And I, I pray I don't have to. I, it's torturous for mm-hmm. everybody. It is. Um, but... I would express to that person, if assuming they care about me, and I would say, hey, this is, this is how what you're doing affects me and the people around you, and you may not see that. So what can I do for you to help you? What do you know? What can you tell me that you need? And then let's see if I can meet those needs, and if I can't, let's see if I can find someone who can. I mean, it's just taking a very active approach. But I think the thing that I, I'm probably more apt to, to tell people what not to do than what to do. And I think what not to do is <laughs> scream, yell, get angry, and abandon. <laughs> you're, you're not going anywhere with that, right? I mean, if you're going to wash your hands of it, then you're washing your hands of that relationship potentially forever. What, what, I, what I'm hearing you say, so let's, let's go there for a minute is that too often, quite often at least, um, someone not in addiction whose life is stable in the real regular world, someone in addiction and, and there's, there's, there's a rejoining potentially of some type of relationship for assistance 
is that's that's seen as as confrontation or conflict because there's tension mm-hmm. and typically when we sense tension we sort of bow up to protect ourselves and so we we lose our ability to to have a honest open transparent conversation right i won't use the acronym that's i appreciate that <laughs> but but in the tension we we lose our ability to be our authentic self with right. someone right that's what i'm trying to get to and 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 an addict is we we may we may people not in addiction may look at an addict and and sort of think of them as a subhuman person uh they don't know anything they're 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 dumb they're stupid they're ignorant they're blah blah they they haven't lost their sense of sensitivity to human nature right and so as soon as you freeze up as soon as your voice tenses up as soon as a facial look of your face changes as you're talking to them they they still retain the ability to read all those signals and and they know there's a problem you don't have to say there's a problem they can see and sense there's a problem and so what what do we do when when someone tenses up towards us instinctively we tense up towards them because why people get bit by dogs yes i mean the dogs sense that and i i've you know when i first got dobermans the i was never a big dog kind of guy we went from a chinese pug to a doberman so it's oh, a, wow. quite a difference but but the thing is like they 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 sense it i one of the things i've loved about learning about dogs is really it's 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 almost spiritual i, I can't say that because i don't have any kind of you know context but but meaning that sometimes i meet a person and my spirit just knows that person mm-hmm. and if someone you know they don't have to do or say anything and you get a feeling from them because they have a certain feeling of anxiety or whatever else and so uh i you know animals in general probably pick that up but my experience with dogs i found myself projecting out certain things to where i could have a massive stray dog coming at me with anger short of a trained police dog um and i'm gonna back that dog down because I'm going to project more than that dog is and learning how to stand that position. So when you understand that, you understand that, that that's how people respond, then you control that situation, right? When I sit across from somebody, if I start to get scared, they're going to sense that they may not be able to Mm -hmm. identify what that is, or if I start to get angry or whatever the thing is. So I tend to sit back and relax in myself for a second and say, okay, I'm here for a purpose. If God, if I'm here, God has placed me here. And so I'm going to take this moment and I'm going to be an instrument of the Lord. And all of a sudden now, you know, it literally like in Philippians, my worry has turned into a prayer and that prayer is cause the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to come. And now, now what have I become for that person? Now I've become peace. And I think when these are the things that I don't think people realize, they just deal with a problem directly. Like it's their thing. You know, one of our core values at Redux church is rest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When I rest in who I am, the fruit of the spirit who lives in me come out and I'm not manufacturing any kind of thing. In fact, I don't even remotely take credit for a thing. I can't. I don't even know how to word it to people. I'm like, "Hey, great job!" I'm like, "I don't even know what you're saying." Like, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to say. I don't want to say thank you, <laughs> you know. But because it's like I didn't really do anything. I let the Lord do it. And mm-hmm. So, 
you know, anyway, I don't, I don't know, kind of rabbit trail, but I, I feel like that that's a missing piece. You know, the understanding that people are going to feel you and read you and you can control what they see and feel and, and experience. That's great. That's great. Good stuff. Um, so let's, let's go back to the tension situation. Um, we, we, what we have is a failure to communicate. Mm-hmm and a failure to communicate in the right way what we did communicate. And so what I would say to the people who are, who are not in addiction is the first thing you have to do is express acceptance of them as a person. Yeah, You don't have to express acceptance of their addiction, but you can you can reject the addiction and still accept the person. Absolutely. And and we tend to we tend to label people by their flaw. Right. And they are that flaw. And so what we do is we reject them because of the flaw. Yeah. And this is reverse pride. We yes. we, we label ourselves yes. we we label ourselves by our successes. And and that's oh, wrong too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm the, I'm in the natural. I'm the sum total of everything, not just one side. Mm-hmm. In the spirit, I am what God says I am. Right. If we look at that person as Christ would look at them, He looks at them as His child who has been bound and needs to be set free. Mm-hmm. So, in the process of trying to help someone be set free, uh, if we're if we're not operating in the fullness of Christ, meaning that we're not in that place where we can just speak and say, be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's okay to set boundaries. Right. And I think that's sort of what you were saying or, or maybe didn't get to. Uh, we can help behind the scenes. In other words, that's a boundary. I'm not gonna do something for you directly, mm-hmm. but I will support something being done for you. Um, so, uh, you know, I won't give you money, right. but I will get you a meal. Right, precisely. Uh, I won't bring you into my house, but I will see that you get some shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't. I won't buy you. I won't buy you dope. But if if coming off cigarettes and dope at the same time is too much, I might even those against my principles personally. I might buy you cigarettes so that you don't have to deal with both at the same time. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and and you're right. Boundaries, uh, you know, I I have had people in my family and things, people that are close to me where I've had to set boundaries, not necessarily even just because of addiction, but because of volatility, you know, um, and toxicity. And there was a point with with one member of my family where I just simply communicated, "I, I love you and I'd love to have you in my life, but I have to prioritize what my kids experience over what you and I are experiencing. And so as a result, the boundary is this. If we're going to be together, these are the ground rules for our communication. I'm okay if we aren't together. It's not my preference, but I'm willing to do that because now I've had to choose between the well-being of my kids and, and you. And so just simply communicating that in a calm way is is not saying any because I think it's really important to set, to set those boundaries in a practical way when things aren't bad, right? Yes. I mean, even with my kids, I tell them all the time, "I love you so much. I just love your your mom more." 
and they they all have different responses to that especially my youngest he thought that was really mean but but the bottom line is it sets a boundary with them that they understand for all eternity i will choose her over them forever now there are some people that disagree with that i think the bible would agree with me but but it doesn't really matter this is my conviction and it's where Mm -hmm. i live so communicating that my boys do not feel unloved by their dad they just understand the pecking order because the bottom line is i made three of them i could make four or five or six (laughs) or 20 so you don't make 20 no well i'm i mean this is all theoretical okay okay but but my point is is that that union with my wife and i we are we are one and so i'm going to cherish that and hold that in a higher regard so that just sets a boundary with things are good you know and so now when things go on they don't they're not second guess they never have a thought in their mind i wonder if dad's going to choose mom or me no question he already knows that's really good stuff and i think we can do that with you know outside of that realm in other areas as well so so we need to figure out who our authentic self is and operate from that authentic self on a on a regular daily basis not just when we're dealing with a with a crisis that's right uh which sort of brings us in, in a way to our to our next piece um if if you're that family member that uh, employer that neighbor uh, friend whatever that is that that someone in addiction is is coming to you for some type of assistance or help uh being forced to interact with you um addicts and addicts and prisoners have something in common you know what that is they're definitely both in bondage. <laughs> They're definitely both in bondage. They are also outstanding con men. Mm. And an addict can guilt you into providing anything that they need. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe not every addict, but every addict can guilt you into providing what they need. And uh, being guilted into something means, again, that you have not set a boundary. And if they guilt you into something, that's really not on them. That's right. on you. That, absolutely. And they're actually doing the instinctual act that all humans would for survival. I mean, that is their yeah. simple approach to survival. And you can't blame them for trying to get what their what their body, their mind thinks that is their emergency at the moment. Right. Um so what what that what that brings us to is uh, I'm having one of the moments. Where did that bring me to? I don't know, but they're good at con men. Prisoners and uh, addicts have this in common. Mm. Um, Sometimes I get scared because I think, man, he's going to ask me, and I'm not going to have been listening in the moment, and then we're just going to sit here. You, you, <laughs> you are going to have to improve on your mind reading skills before next week. <laughs> oh man. Oh man! Well, the first thing we were talking about was you know what you say to somebody who's who's uh, dealing with those people, and it sounded like to me you were going to say, okay, the next thing we do is if you're that neighbor, you're that friend. Um, wow, there it is. It's it's right here. Um, is it for next week now? Uh, it might be. <laughs> um, well. Uh, loss of we were talking originally about loss of of street cred loss of respect and uh, you know we got off into 
uh, a very good subject of, of how we deal with people from uh, a mentor aspect and, and setting boundaries and, and uh, you know, someone, someone in addiction, um, they, here's, here's where we were going. Someone in addiction is gonna be helped by those boundaries. Right. Because anything outside I'm of so glad setting, you remembered this. This was good. <laughs> man. If if we always enable them, mm-hmm. we literally become there's there's there now I got I got it all back now. <laughs> if if we don't set boundaries, the opposite of that is we become an accessory. Mm, that's good. You can be the person in a murder situation that you didn't plan it and you didn't pull the trigger. But if you, you drove the, if you drove the getaway car, that's right. If you knowingly sold them the gun for that purpose, uh, if you worked as the lookout, you will go to jail just like the person who pulled the trigger. Right. And so, um, if 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 you have a loved one, uh, a significant person in your life who is in addiction. And, and you are not setting boundaries and you are not working with them in, in a sense of, in sense of calm, being the authentic you, not you wrapped up in tension. Uh, you are actually harming them and enabling them to continue and they will never get, they might get sober for a day, they might get sober for a week, but they will never get clean, they will never be restored back into regular society, they will never discover the fullness of who God made them to be if we enable them to continue in who they have been in that addiction. Mm. And and that's the high point that we needed to get to in this particular podcast. Their, their, their street cred, that respect they think they have in that community is, is their community of enablers. That's right. And, and our job, our job is to rescue them from that community and draw them into our community because our community has health and wholeness and well-being and hope. Yeah. And that's where we're at. That's good. Anything you want to add to that? No, no, I just, I, yes, I guess. I just started knowing and I started talking. <laughs> um, I was just thinking of a friend of mine who, who was uh, in addiction, I wasn't real close to him, but I remember he was on his third or fourth attempt of of uh, coming out, and he had had some long stints at different times. And I remember finding out, or no, he he hadn't used, but I said this to him. I said, "Listen, man, you need to know this right now. If you use, I don't care if you're high, or whatever. Go ahead and just call me. Just call me yeah. because you need to understand. I expect you to use again. I hope you don't." But I'm okay if you do. I don't expect this to. Go, it's not an on and off switch. It's a it's a gradient of getting clean, and I get that. And so I, what the biggest thing mistake he could ever make would be to isolate himself because he feels ashamed. I needed to communicate yes. to him, dude. I'm with you. I'm for you, and whatever I can do, even if that means just to to be around and talk. You know, just come around. So I think that that's key um, is don't let these folks go it alone. And, and I love what you said, man. You've got to replace this community of enablers with a community that's going to rescue you. If, if, we, if, we don't, if we don't communicate ourselves properly to those people, uh, 
what happens is is that the person in addiction begins to look at everybody who's clean as an enemy Mm -hmm. and what do you do with an enemy you avoid them that's right and and if we are the ones who have have healing or have help for healing in our hands in our words um in our actions uh, we we need to be we need to be building bridges of connection we need to be building bonds of relationship with these people and not destroying them before we ever have the opportunity to help them. Right, that's good. Well, wherever you are at today, I just want to say that first off, we love you. Uh, second of off, we believe in your God-given purpose, your design and your potential. And we want to speak to you today that you are more than able It may not feel like it, may not seem like it, may not be your history. You are more than able to overcome this addiction. Father, bless them, strengthen them, reveal yourself in the moment of temptation and weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Find out more about us at gum.faith, G-U-U-M dot faith. Till next time, God bless.